Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today. We are in the uh, third week of our series that we're calling Getting Healthy Again. And uh, I've been hearing from, from many of you that as we've been opening God's Word and uh, going to uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, first eight or ten verses there called the Beatitudes, as we've been taking the, the first steps uh, with Christ uh, that He uses to put our persons back together again, uh, that good stuff's happening. You've been emailing me. I've been getting t- phone calls. And uh, let me encourage you, uh, since you're experiencing God's activity in your life in such positive ways, that you practice what we learned back in January and February as a church when we, um, when we spent some time talking about how we can be used by God to tell other people our own faith story how we can have gospel conversations, explain the gospel uh, to people who need to know Jesus, and how we can uh, pray for people who serve us in public as we look for open open doors. Don't forget those lessons. Don't forget those practices. And um, uh, let, God, let God use you as you continue to walk with, uh, with Him. Well, as I've said, we're looking at the eight Beatitudes of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5. Um, to learn these eight steps that Jesus uses to put our persons back together, our lives back together, to bring wholeness uh, to our lives. Now, two weeks ago, we learned the first step, and we called it the reality step. There, uh, as, as we go, take a look at the first step. I realize I'm not God. I admit I'm helpless to control my tendency to do what I know is unhealthy. That's a really nice way of saying sin disobedience to God, and uh, my life is unmanageable. This is based on Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, where Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That means we are spiritually helpless apart from Christ to make ourselves okay with God, to manage our life that we need, uh, that we need Him. Last week, we learned the second step, and we called it the hope step. And uh, here it is, second step. I earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He has the power to help me recover. This is based on Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, which says, Blessed are those who mourn, not just who, not who mourn death or loss, but specifically who mourn their spiritual poverty. We, we, are, we recognize our spiritual helplessness and the condition that it has caused our lives to, uh, to be in, and then we grieve that, we, which involves repentance. It involves, um, uh, again, not just sorrow, but, but action. Well, we learned that as we begin to grieve what we've done to ourselves and some others have done to us, that we could become hopeless, but we remembered five things about God that gives us hope when we need to change. We remember God is with us. Not only is He with us, He cares about us. Not only does He care about us, He knows all about our situation, our circumstances. Not only does He know all of our circumstances, but that He has all the power necessary to help us. Not only does He have all the power uh, necessary to help us, but that He promises He will help. 
And so as we remember those things, uh, we are encouraged. It gives us hope. We have at least five great reasons for hope for change and hope in our lives. Well, today we're coming to the third step. And we're calling it the commitment step. And um, I'm going to telegraph the punch right up front here. In this third step, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to urge you, I'm going to beg you, I'm going to plead with you, I'm going to try to persuade you uh, to commit all of your will and life into the hands of Jesus Christ, not only as your Savior. Some of you, for the first time, you've never done that. Stop living a self-centered, self-directed, self-righteous life and throw yourself on the mercy of Christ in what he accomplished when he died on the cross in your place for your sin, making appropriate payment for your sin and rose from the dead, proving that he is who he said he was and that he will do what he said he will do, that you commit yourself to him and then continue in a life of submission to him for the rest of your life. I'm, I'm going to beg and plead. Some of you have never done that before. Most of us here probably have. And so I want to beg you to make this daily, even moment by moment, submission to, commitment to Christ, the commitment step. It is based on Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Take a look at it on the screen. It says, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Now, the Bible says that we have, uh, that there are many benefits to meekness. Uh, just here for in Psalm 22, verse 26, uh, the meek shall be satisfied. In Psalm 25, verse 9, the Bible tells us that uh, the, the meek God will guide and teach. In uh, Proverbs 11, verse 2, uh, the Bible says that the meek will become wise. In Isaiah chapter 29 verse 19, uh, the Bible says the meek will be filled with fresh joy. Many, many other benefits the Bible gives us to meekness. You might say, some of you are thinking, pastor, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be wimpy. What are you talking about? Well, let me explain it this way. This is a problem we have in that we fundamentally misunderstand what meekness is. We don't understand the biblical concept of meekness. We tend to believe that meekness equals weakness. Being a wimp uh, for God. But meekness is no such thing. In fact, meekness is the opposite of weakness. The, The Greek word meek... Uh, is or meekness is literally translated strength under control. Strength under control. It, it, this word was used in the ancient uh, world uh, to describe the process of breaking a wild horse so that it could be ridden. Now, have you got any horse people in here? Got a few horse people in here? Yeah, got a few. Got a few. I had a, uh, you know, horses tend to be a little bit strong. Human beings have always been fascinated with the majesty of horses, the beauty of horses, and the strength of horses. Now, I, I, uh, one of my best friends in high school convinced me to come help him break a horse at their farm one day. Yeah, I almost, I'm not over it yet. I've never been quite right. Since then, they let, they let the thing mature a little bit too long. 
And he drug me all over the backside of a pasture one day. I decided, I don't, I'm not having fun. This is not fun. And so horses, a magnificent strength. Well, meekness, this term was used in the ancient world to describe this process of breaking a wild horse. Now, once a horse is broken, does it lose its strength? No. No. Of course not. No, of course not. It has all the strength it ever had. But now... The strength of the horse is brought under the control of its master so that it will do what the master wants it to do when the master wants it uh, to do it. Now, a good way to say meekness is, meekness is not just strength under anyone's control. The biblical concept is your strength not just under your control. It is your strength under Christ's control. Now, there's a big difference. Under his control. The Lord Jesus does not want you to be weak. He wants you to submit all that you are and have, all of your, all of your talents, all of your abilities, all of your, all of your strength, all of yourself under his control. Submission to uh, the master. Matthew 5.5 5 means your strength under Christ's control. We acknowledge our spiritual poverty we grieve it, and then we submit all, all that we are and have our strength under the control of Christ, our will and our power to Christ's control. Let me give you a one-phrase description uh, of this, and I borrow the language from our friends in Alcoholics Anonymous and in all 12-step recovery groups, and it's this. They, they say it this way. This is let go and let go and let God. Let go and let, that's what they mean. Let go and let God is not just a trivial little pithy saying that has no substance to it. Rightly understood, it is precisely what we are talking about here. So here's how we state step number three in getting healthy again. Take a look on the screen. I consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Now, again, I'll get to this later, but this is more than just a um, one-time commitment. It is a one-time commitment or a, or a decision, a beginning decision that continues for the rest of your life in a process. Jesus said it this way. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, he said, Come to me, all who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, let's think about a yoke for a second. A yoke is a farming tool used to harness a powerful animal so that the farmer can control two things its direction and pace. It's direction and pace. All of the strength of that beast of burden, all of the strength of that farm animal, that oxen or that mule uh, is brought. It, when it takes on the yoke, it submits all of its strength to the control of its master, the farmer. And the farmer controls its direction and its pace in order to get the work done that the farmer knows needs to get done. To get done what needs to get done. Putting on Christ's yoke on our lives is a metaphor for us submitting our control to Jesus, control of our direction, control of our pace. 
control of our direction, control of our pace. We let Jesus control the direction and pace of our lives. And so when we've taken this third step, according to Jesus, life becomes easier. Rest, rejuvenation, release. Uh, It's the best deal. It's the best deal. Now, let me explain. You say, okay, that sounds wonderful. Practically, how do I go about this? Okay, let me, let me use an acrostic. Let's use the word meek, M-E-E-K. Just down on your note sheet there in your bulletin, just M-E-E-K. And let me give you uh, four aspects of submitting ourselves to the control of Christ uh, in our lives. Let, the letter M, the letter M stands for manager. Make Jesus the manager of my life. Make Jesus the manager of my life. Now, our problem is, and my problem is, I want to be the manager of my life. My default setting is I want to be the manager of my life. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with and by whom, all the time. You do too. It is a gravitational pull in us. Uh, It's the leftovers of our sin, our sin nature, our flesh that wants to pull away from our master and be our own God. Be the director of our direction and our pace. That's our problem. And when we do this, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We do this because we think we know better than God. Let's remind ourselves, do we know better than God? No. Now just pretend like you're in Sunday school and you're going to give the right answer. Do we know better than God? No. No, of course not. Are we smarter than God? Are you smarter than God? No. 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 No, you're not. Are you bigger than God? No. No. We're not smarter. We're not wiser. Um, we, are, we are not as compassionate. We are not as loving. Uh, we're, we're just not bigger and better and badder than God. I mean, He is magnificent. And so, but we behave like we are wiser than God when we say, well, I know what God says, but then there you go. There you go. Now, one of the reasons that you are under stress is that you habitually wrestle with God. He always wins. You box with God. Now, one ancient writer said, your arms are too short to box with God. His reach is, is much longer than yours. And why would you fight with someone anyway who loves you magnificently, who made you, made you to love you, made you to bless you, made you to enjoy him uh, now and in eternity? Why would you fight with the, per- the being that loves you the most in the world in the first place? It's because we're sinful and stupid most of the time. That's, why, that's how we get there. And so... Um, We have to make this decision for Jesus to be the manager of our life every day. Every day. And actually, it's usually moment by moment through the day. Listen to this. In Job chapter 22, verse 21, the Bible says this. Stop quarreling with God. If you agree with Him, you will have peace at last and things will go well for you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. And so all those old country songs, you know, like Carrie Underwood's little song, Jesus Take the Wheel. He said, oh, that's cute. And that's kind of country and kind of back. No, no, no. That's pretty good 
biblical theology. Jesus, take the wheel. He said, if, if, if we're going anywhere, I'm driving, he says. No, 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 no. I'm the driver. I'm the driver. And so uh, I, uh, I, as I was uh, preparing for this talk, and I, uh, I read the story of a couple who went on African safari just a handful of years ago with a group. And they told that one morning their guide, they woke up, they had breakfast, and their guide was going to, that was the day we're going to go find elephants. We're going to go see the elephants. And uh, he said, we're going to go on foot. But he said, I've got two rules. And before, they said, before uh, we began, he sat us down and got really serious. And he said, Here's the, this is not a rule, this is a law. He said, at any point when I say, if I say run, run! He said, don't stop, don't look around, don't take a picture, don't pause to see what's happening, don't ask why. If I say run, run. Got it? Yeah, I, I, I was already running when I read the story. And he said, now here's the second law. Here's the second law. When I say run, you run exactly where I run. He said, if you can, you put your footprints in my footprints. He said, because if you panic, you run off in your own direction, you'll get lost in the bush, probably will die, and, or you will step on things you wish you had not stepped on. Got it. So he said, you run when I say run, and you follow me precisely. Now that's what Jesus says to us. If he is the manager of our lives... We say ahead of time, yes, Lord, you're the boss, you're the owner, you're my manager, you're the guide, I will follow you, you are the leader. I will run and I will follow in your footsteps. Now, followers of Jesus decide this ahead of time, ahead of time. You don't wait until you come to some moment of temptation of incredible temptation, whether it's your addiction or some, you know, you're surprised by something. He said, well, I wonder if I'm going to obey God now. No, 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 no. You, spiritual maturity is deciding in advance to obey Jesus. Spiritual maturity is deciding in advance to obey God. Maturity means making the right decision ahead of time. So in the heat of the moment, you already know what to do. My answer to you, God, is yes. I don't even know what you're asking yet. Whatever you say, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Look at Psalm 37, verse 5. Give yourself to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will help you. This means for some of you, for the very first time ever, taking the hands off the steering wheel of your life, admitting your own sinfulness that you've been leading, you've been depending on your own self-righteousness, that you didn't need a Savior, self-directed, self-righteous, sinful life. You repent of it and you turn and place your faith in Jesus as your only hope, your Lord and Savior. For others of you, Christians, you're already committed to Christ. It means that you live this way. You continue to live this way. You trust in Him and let Him help you. You start this decision and then you keep opening up the doors of your heart for Him to, to clean out. This is letting go and letting God. 
This is the first step to meekness. This is how Jesus puts your life back together. This is making Jesus manager of your life. Okay, that's M, manager. E, the first E, stands for this. Establish God's word as the authority for my life. We make Jesus the manager of our life. Being meek also means that we establish God's word as the authority for our life. We believe, Christians believe, and the Bible claims to be God's revealed word to us. That it is truth without any mixture of error. It is the final authority for what we are to believe, how we are to behave, how, and how we will conduct our lives, that it is true, that it is right, that it trumps every other source of spiritual authority. That's, that's what we believe. And, he's, and, and he is saying, if you want to be meek, you submit yourself to the authority of my word. My, let me guide you from my word. When I was in college, I, um, I went snow skiing for the very first time. It was fun. It was so fun. Uh, the mountains of Colorado, we're out near, they were near Durango, Colorado up there. Oh, my soul. It was for a guy from the deep South. I was like, woo, you know, I mean, goodness gracious. We never seen anything like this before. And it was magnificent. Now uh, I had some wise buddies with me who said, I said, I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I was in shape in those days, athletic in those days, all that's gone now, but in those days, and and said, so I said, I'm going to just hit the slopes with you guys. No, they said, you're not. You're going to ride over there with all those little kids and take a lesson. Well, I didn't want to do that. Boy, they were wise, and I did, and I was so glad. So after my lesson, half-day lesson, uh, I spent the first day uh, on the green, I mean, on the, yeah, on the green slopes, you know, the beginners, and uh, that was a whole lot of fun. I mean, it was a bunch of fun. But I was confident enough the second day to go on up on the mountain and uh, take on some of the intermediate slopes. And I, I had a good day. It was really fun. It was more challenging. It was a little more risky, uh, you know, much faster. Um, but one, late afternoon on a, on a, a, a slope, I'd, um, a run I'd not taken before, I kind of came around a bend on the side of the mountain and I saw a sign that looked something like this. Now, this is not the one I saw. I couldn't, I, I, I tried to find photos of the resort. It's been years ago and I couldn't find it. But it, it was pretty much the same sign. You are leaving the ski resort. You can die. This is your decision. I thought, okay. Now, why was that sign posted there? Was it to, to ruin my fun? Was it to mess up my trip? Was it to make my life a downer? Why was it there? Well, it was for my own good, right? It was for my own health. How should I react to that authority, to the authority of that sign? What should my attitude be toward the authority of that sign? You know, I have a lot of options. You have a lot of options when we react to the authority of God's word over our lives. I could have said, this is a stupid sign. How stupid could it be? I know better than this sign. I'm going to go ahead and ski down this path anyway. And I reject the authority of of the sign. It's dumb. I don't like it, so I'm going to do my own thing. I think I know better. Or I could say, let me see. It looks like to me this sign is probably out of date. (laughs) I mean, look, I bet some some men wrote that 2,000 years ago. 
Well, it's out of date. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's for another age and another time. It really doesn't apply to me because it's out of date, I think. Or I could say something like this. Well, you know, this sign does not really mean what it says. You know, when it says stop, stay out, that's just their interpretation. Because, you know, you can make these signs, you can make these signs say anything you want them to say. I, I think when it says stay out, it really says means for me, go ahead. Yeah, that's what that means. See? See, I mean, my opinion is just as good as anyone else. It's just their interpretation. Or I could say, I'm sure God would want me to ignore this sign because, of course, God wants me to be happy. Right. All through God's Word, the Bible, there are commands of God for us to obey. Some say, do these things. Some say, don't do these things. Why? For our own good. God has our best interest at heart. He has our best interest at heart. It's all for your, even when you don't understand it. Even when you don't understand, even, even when you say, oh, I think this sign's going to, I think this sign's on the wrong side of history. No. No. God is compassionate. He gives us his counsel. He gives us his commands and he gives us his wisdom because he loves us and wants to bless us and for the common good of all human beings, for all human flourishing, even for those who don't know him and don't love him, he wants to bless them. Make God's word the authority in your life for four reasons. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 uh, verse 15. I think I got that one wrong. Is that supposed to be verse 16? Talk among yourselves a minute. Yeah, 16, not 15. Correct that. Here's what it says. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is wrong right. Psalm, the psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 93, I will never lay aside your laws for you have used them to restore my joy and health. My joy and health. And so if I'm going to be meek, if I'm going to take the third step, if I'm going to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control, then I will M, make him the manager of my life. First E, I'll establish God's word as the authority in my life. Second E, write this down. I will embrace God's spirit as the power for my life. The power for my life. Years ago, you purchased for me, your pastor, uh, my first desktop uh, computer to work on. And I was so excited to get it. Uh, and we, we placed it on uh, my desk there and I had the manual and the instructions and I was already got it already the night before to uh, the next morning, come in in my study and type my first sermon on my brand new computer. And so I came in the next morning and I sat down and I turned on the switch and nothing happened. Oh, I was, uh, you know, the frustrating. So I, nothing happened, nothing happened. So right there's the phone number, you know, customer support. 
God dialed them up. Hi, this is Pastor Keith Moore, and uh, I just got this new computer. Yeah, how's it going? It's not working. What should I? What do we do? And I was, you know, I was a little ill. I'm trying to be holy about it. <laughs> and um, and uh, and so they they said, "Have you turned on the switch?" Yes. What's the next question they asked me? No. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm plugging it in now. Click. <laughs> Thank you very much. Plugging it in. I discovered that my computer worked better plugged in. So do you. You work better when you're plugged into the power source of God, the Holy Spirit of God who says, I will take up residence in your life and will empower you. I will be at work in you both to motivate and enable you to know, be, and do what God wants you to know, be, and do. You work better when you're plugged into the power source. That's the plan. I uh, embrace God's Spirit as the power for my life. Meekness is all about submitting to Christ and, su- and surrendering to the power, the guidance, the direction of His Holy Spirit. Listen to this, Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-seven. I will put my Spirit in you and enable you to live by my law. Galatians 3.10, anyone who tries to live by his own effort, independent of God, is doomed to failure. Galatians 3.3, you began your life in Christ by the Spirit. Are you now trying to make it complete by your own power? How foolish. That's foolish. Philippians 4.13, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. Remember, you work better Plugged in. Make Jesus the manager of your life. Establish his word as the authority in your life. Embrace God's Holy Spirit as the power for your life. And here's the final uh, aspect of of being meek. K, the letter K stands for keep Jesus the focus of my life. Keep Jesus the focus of my life. Let Let me see your eyes one more time here. I am not promoting a philosophy to you. This is not just a body of teaching for you. Christianity is all about you having a relationship with the living Christ, with Jesus who loves you and wants to know you. Uh, He wants you to know him and enjoy him and love him and, and be loved and enjoyed by him. Uh, there's nothing else like it uh, in the history of mankind and no other opportunity. You can know Jesus. I mean, way back over uh, in, in, uh, in the Old Testament, in the pro- prophet Jeremiah, God spoke to him and he said, don't boast in this, don't boast in that. Boast that you understand and know me. That you understand and know me. That you, we are close. That keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews said, we must keep our eyes on Jesus who leads us and makes our faith complete. The reason this church exists is to try to connect you to Jesus now and in eternity. And uh, you can know him. The greatest joy of my life is knowing Jesus. I'm shocked by it. I'm stunned by it. Still, I, I'm just I'm reminded, I've told some of you this before, my my high school principal, uh, John Baker, uh, had two daughters. He, he told us this. He was a great, just 
loved him. He was a great man, a great leader, a great godly man. He's been with the Lord a long time now. But um, he, uh, his young daughter, youngest daughter, uh, Beth, was about three years old. And uh, these were in the days when, you know, you didn't have to, like, put your kids in a straight jacket and put bricks on them and stuff to keep them in a car seat or something while you drove two blocks home keep them safe. There were no seat belts in the cars in those days. And so they were riding home from Sunday school one morning, from church one morning. And uh, she leaned up over the, over the, over the back of the back seat in between her mom and dad. And he said, Beth, what did you talk about in Sunday school today? She said, same old thing. Just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now, but let me just tell you, if you want to come to Dogwood Church, it's going to be the same old thing every week. It's going to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, he's it. He's the, he's the beginning. He's the end. He's, he's all there is. And we're trying to know and follow him. Listen, keep your focus on him. Don't get all tired. I mean, study all you can. Learn all you can. Don't get all... Don't, don't take minor things and make them major things. Jesus is the big point. Listen to this. Psalm 25. If I keep my eyes on God, I won't trip over my own feet. Proverbs 3, 6. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Step number three. I consciously choose to commit all my life to Christ's care and control. This commitment of all of your life to Christ's care and control, now once again, is a decision that you make at a point in time followed by a process of continuous submission to Christ on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis for the rest of your life. It's like when we commit our lives to Christ, He comes and takes up residence in us by His Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a little book, booklet I recommend called My Heart, Christ's Home. Anybody ever read that? Get it, get it, get it. And it's the picture of we invite Him into our lives and then the rest of our life He spends the time going through our heart, opening up all the doors and then going into this room and cleaning it up and going and opening this closet and cleaning that up, and conforming us more and more to the image of himself. Uh, He spends the rest of our life uh, renewing us and making us new. My my dad dropped out of school when World War II broke out and joined the Navy. He's a young guy and found himself a young guy from Piedmont, Alabama. And first thing you know, a few months later, he's on a tanker in the Pacific Fleet Help trying in that whole campaign to retake the Pacific. He was a signalman uh, on the USS Lackawanna, and uh, when all was in that whole deal across the Pacific, that went on into Tokyo Harbor and occupied Tokyo Harbor. He told me one time that uh, the plan was that they'd take on these islands and these islands and these islands, and uh, the way it would happen was. If they could get the Marines to the beach and establish a beachhead, if they once the Marines established a beachhead, it's a done deal. He said, now there's a lot of stuff to be done after the beachhead was established, but it was just a matter of time until it was occupied. When we commit our lives to Christ initially, 
he t- establishes a beachhead in our heart, and it's, then he continues this process of taking over our whole being and transforming us into the people he wants us to be. And he'll do that for you if you cooperate with him. And I'm going to ask you to do that now. Let's pray. Let's pray. For some of you, we, we all have things that control our lives. Some of us have submitted control of our life to the goal of making money, adding zeros to an income figure. Some of you are controlled by that. Some of you are controlled by another person for their approval. Oh, if I don't do this or be that, my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my spouse will leave me. You may have surrendered your life to a habit that's become an addiction. You may have surrendered your life to the, a bad memory of a hurt or a hang-up that you won't let go. Here's my question. Has what you've been living for made your life what you've always wanted it to be? Or has it betrayed you? Well, I'd encourage you to take the right step and commit control of your will and your life to Christ. Some of you, for the very first time, you do so from your heart right now by repenting of your sin, placing your active trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you your sin, to give you His gift of eternal life, to take control of you and surrender your life to Him as Lord, owner, manager, God. Many of you have already done that initially. You now need to cooperate with the process. And so would you once again say, Lord, today I commit all that I am and have to your control. You make me what you want me to be. Tell him. Thank you for hearing these prayers. And thank you that in Christ, we have a living hope. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.